we're always, all of us in our entire careers are always walking uphill. There's, there's no, there's no free lunch. There's, you know, everything worth doing is worth doing right and putting the effort into. But you're walking uphill, and sometimes it's super steep, and sometimes you have to run. Uh, other times you can go a little slow, but you're always going uphill. And every now and then you just got to turn around and look, and look at at where you've where you are now, and look how high you've gotten, and look at everything you've done behind you. Welcome to Helium Podcast. I'm Matt Hotze, and I'm here with Christine Ogovihendren. That was Greg Lowry of Carnegie Mellon University. He's talking about turning around and enjoying the view of your career accomplishments and how important it is to self-reflect and understand how far you've come, no matter how far along you are on your career journey as an early career researcher. I really like this focus on adjusting to a professional mindset of life being more about the journey and, you know, learning to live in the present as opposed to waiting for some imaginary time in the future when it's just an easy cruise. So his practical advice kind of highlighted three strategies for just getting good at being in that state of going uphill, like seeking actively supportive mentors, celebrating successes along the way, as you mentioned, and then knowing when to really focus in. Yeah, I mean, that was great advice on those three strategies. And I think that this episode alone is worth listening to for that part. And he also shares a couple of questions, which has to do with focusing too. two questions that you should ask yourself every time you're thinking about saying yes to a new opportunity. If you didn't listen to episode 15 yet, maybe go back and pick that one up first. Um, and in both conversations, I think you'll just see how Greg is a great example of someone who believes and lives out that a job in academic research is not only possible, but can be really fun and it can make an impact. So let's roll the second half of our conversation with Greg Lowry. I think that this is a, a, probably a good place to kind of shift the conversation. And in fact, it's remarkable that over, you said, 18 years... Yep. You've only had three people that have had to move on entirely. That's that's amazing. And I think that speaks to how successful you've been at what you said your goal was, which is to produce people, right? People, good people for the field. And, you know, in terms of, we're going to brag on you a little bit here, but in terms of, perf, you know, the typical track for a professor, you had a pretty quick success in building a stable group and advancing from assistant a full professor. And we wanted to let you talk a little bit about that. You know, you, what, what do you feel are the keys, obviously, besides, you know, the, the recruiting piece that we've talked about of your, of being able to establish yourself and efficiently grow and, and hit that S curve. Like you said, hit the, hit the growth part of that S curve. Yeah. So, yeah. I, when you're in your career, it's hard to see what's going on. I, I, I just gave this advice actually to one of my former students that, you know, she had sent me a note about like, it's a struggle. It feels like everything's uphill. And, and it, it is right. We're always, all of us in our entire careers are always walking uphill. There's, there's no, there's no free lunch. There's, you know, everything worth doing is worth doing right and putting the effort into, but you're walking uphill and sometimes it's super steep and sometimes you have to run. Uh, other times you can go a little slow, but you're always going uphill. And every now and then you just got to turn around and look and look at, 
at where you've where you are now and look how high you've gotten and look at everything you've done behind you and and appreciate that your hard work has paid off i think that's an important thing to do and and young professors just getting started you know it, it's hard for them to do because they're running a, up a steep hill as fast as they can and maybe there's no time to turn around and reflect but even you know at the end of each year think god what have i what did i accomplish this year what have i done what can i check off and and it's you'll be amazed at what you've actually done so um but that's not that wasn't what your question was your question was about how it's good advice though <laughs> it's good advice yeah I don't, actually can i jump in real quick actually and this is a little bit of a tangent but do you actually do you journal do you like because you're talking about self reflection and, and, and appreciating what you have. I mean, it just made me think of the, you know, journaling practice kind of, you know, being a little bit more self-aware. Um, I wish, I wish I could say, yes, I journal, <laughs> but, but I yeah. don't, but, but here's, here's what I do do. I, I have an annual report every year that I need to fill out and submit to my university. And yeah. when I do my annual report, I look at, how many students I've graduated this year and how many total, how many papers did I publish this year? How many proposals did I write or, or get funded this year? Uh, how many meetings did I go to? How, I don't know, how many, um, how many organizations, uh, leadership roles did I do? I mean, you can, you really look back each year and you can sort of see what the product has been of all the work that you've done. So, but it's not, a, it's not a bad idea to, to sit down and, and, and blog or, or journal your career if, if you want, um, or if you have time to do that, I think it'd be an interesting idea. Well, I know the other insight you have is that you climb literal mountains. So, um, I was thinking of that when you're the visual of turning around and saying how far you came. I mean, you have that part kind of beat. I like I like thinking of it that way because it gives you a breather to stop and turn around is giving yourself a chance to take a breather, get your stamina back and then also appreciate where you've been. Yeah. No, I, without question, the analogy had to do with the, the Everest uh, base camp trip that like it's a hard hike, but every now and then you just look and you go, wow, I, I can't believe what we just did today and how far we've come and, and how beautiful it is. All right. So, so, so back to the question. So how do you, how do you create a career for yourself? Um, I would say I would have to give a lot of credit to sort of how fast things went for me to my colleagues and my mentors and my students. I I'm fortunate here at, at Carnegie Mellon that I had exceptional mentoring uh, as a junior faculty member. You know, and, and it's and it's not just, you know, a, a person to pat you on the back. It, it, it's a person to open doors for you. So, you know, they can call the universities and friends at universities and say, hey, why don't, why don't you invite Greg to give a seminar, right? Get him on your seminar schedule next year. You know, and so my my senior colleagues were working hard to get me in in front of various people at different universities or if they were organizing a meeting to say, Hey, why don't, you know, what, why don't, here, why don't you get, get Lowry in as a keynote speaker for this, for this particular meeting? So having, having people behind you at your own university helping open the door for you 
you know, you, you need to be doing the good work and you need to be producing something that's of interest for them to be able to, to put you up for that. Um, but they have to be there to open the doors for you. So I guess my advice to a junior faculty member would be to find a mentor if you're not assigned one. And even if you're assigned one, find more. Um, you know, latch on to as many senior people as you can that have an interest in, in making sure the junior faculty at their organization are growing uh, and, and take advantage of, of opportunities that they can provide for you. That would be one. The other, I think, in kind of reflecting on, on me, you know, the advice I got coming here and the advice a lot of people get and give is like, okay, get, get three topical areas, do three different things and, and, you know, have three lines in the water, if you will, and see what'll hit in different places. And that, that's kind of true. That, that's exactly what I did. I had three lines in the water, but it turned out that, that one of them was catching a lot more fish than the other two. And so I, I got a lot of, of, um, of research dollars in, you know, grants funded for, for nano iron in this case for groundwater remediation. So I, I wasn't afraid, I guess I, I already had the money in the door, I suppose in some sense, this is, this is, uh, is hindsight. But at that point I said, I'm going to put all my eggs in this basket. I am going to become really good at this. I'm going to immerse myself in this particular topic. And if the idea, if nano iron comes up, I want everyone to know like instantly that it, that Lowry, you need Lowry to give this talk. Right. And it might not just be me, but maybe me and one or two other people of a topic. You want to be the best at that and be like the household name for that particular topic. And that helps a lot because then you're invited to the meetings. Then when you submit proposals on a topic, they're like, oh, yeah, this guy really knows what they're what he's doing. You get a little benefit of the doubt that way. Uh, you know, the risk, of course, is that you don't you don't want to. You don't want to choose the wrong one, but in my case, since I had already had some successes in that area and I could see that it was going to continue to grow and, and it was a real important problem, I sort of just went whole, all in on that one topic uh, and, and became an expert in that area. So that would be that. And then the other, the other piece would be to sort of think, stay focused on the fundamentals. <clears throat> so a lot of times we... You know, someone will call and say, oh, do you, can you test this water for me? Can you test this for me? Test that for me. And it's, it's quite empirical. It serves a purpose and maybe you'll get a $20,000 grant or whatever from a company, which, which I'm not saying is bad because sometimes that can turn into a long-term relationship with a company, which is good. But your core research program should be addressing, you know, the fundamentals of the problem that you're in, right? Whatever system you're studying, what are the what are the real fundamental questions that need to be answered in that system? And if you're doing that, then then it translates to everyone else's research, right? It allows uh, it allows your research to be more relevant and to address key fundamental questions that can then be can then help understanding for the whole satellite industry around the topic that are studying particular niche areas. They all rely on your fundamental contribution to move forward. So I think, you know, gives your, gives your work high value. All of those things help. Working on important problems is, is really a key. 
you know, if you're, if you are working on an important problem, people are going to be having workshops and, and, and various meetings around that problem. And then you'll be at the table because you're an expert on that particular important problem. So actually I wanted to go back to the three lines in the water advice. So you kind of, you kind of said that like, Oh, it's a typical advice. And I took it and I did it as if maybe you should have maybe, maybe focused on something stronger first, or do you, would you still advise someone to kind of put those three lines in the water and see what hits? There was obviously, and in the second part of that question is, yes, you were bringing in money for the nanowire and stuff, but there was also, there's, you were also kind of reading the tea leaves, right. And seeing how many conferences were popping up in that area and other things like that. There, there was a lot of probably background decision-making that you were, that you were doing in terms of like, I want to go on all in on this. Uh, so I guess I'm, I guess I'm asking a question about how soon do you focus down and become the expert on something? Like if you're having a conference on this, this needs, this person needs to be here. Uh, that's a great strategy, but there's obviously some risks there. Yeah. I, I, I agreed. So, you know, when I first got started, I was, I had some sediment remediation. I had a fishing pole for that. I had groundwater remediation largely because that was what my PhD work was on. It's different than nano iron, but generally the same idea. So I had a good understanding of the issues. And then I was actually doing carbon sequestration kind of work, oil and gas kind of work. And and I thought, okay, these are three important areas of research. I am going to start tackling, I'm going to write proposals in those three areas, and I'm going to sort of see what comes in. And then as things hit, for me at least, what happened was I had a few hits, I had little hits on on two of those, but I had lots of hits on one of them. So it was almost like a natural decision for me to say, okay, here's, here's where most of my resource is. Here's where I'm going to spend all my time and effort. If you are getting nibbles on everything and there is no clear, clear winner, then I guess it's a little harder to, to make that decision or that distinction. But I would, I would guess that in most cases, you'll have more success in some areas than others. And I guess the, the key advice is where you're having success. That is where you ought to be focusing your efforts. And, you know, don't just don't say, oh, I got I got a grant in this. Now I'm all set. Say, I got a grant in this. People think it's important. Now I'm going to get five more grants in this. I mean, that's uh, brushing up on something that has come up a lot in a few different interviews, which is uh, learning how to say strategic no's, because it's just especially in the early part of your career, you just have to say so many yeses and and you're jumping on all these opportunities and pushing ahead and climbing the mountain, right? But I think it's really good advice to say at some point you're going to be sacrificing the quality and depth that you can go into. And I wonder if you remember, was it difficult at all? Or was it, did it take some discipline to say, I'm actually going to not consider these other two areas? Or was it kind of a natural thing for you? No, it's not natural. When, when you're first starting, if anyone calls you and says, Hey, we want you to do this and, and we'll pay, we'll pay you to come here, right? We'll pay your airfare and everything. And you just, you know, you jump on it. 
You, you do. I mean, that, that's a natural thing to be like, okay, someone wants to hear what I have to say. I'm, and I'm going to go do that. I, I guess I wouldn't, it's hard to turn down. It really is hard to say no to things, but if I could do it all over again, there are certainly things that I said yes to that someone paid for everything for. Um, but I sat for two days and was bored out of my mind. And I, I got up and I spoke for my 30 minutes and a couple people listened that didn't really care that much. And so it, it ended up being kind of a waste of my time. <clears throat> so I would, I, I guess these days, you know, now I, I don't say yes to everything. And now more thing, more offers come in for sure. And you can't say yes to everything, but even, you know, the decision process that I put on these is a, will I learn something new? Right? Will will I learn something new is number one. And then number two is will, will what I do have an impact or not? And if both of those are low, if I'm not going to learn much and I think it's going to have minimal impact, um, I, I'm going to say no. You know, unless it's in the Turks and Caicos or somewhere. And then, of course, I'm going to go. <laughs> so, so you got to balance. Yeah, you got to balance. You got to be realistic about these things. Um, but but from a career point of view, there is only 24 hours in a day. And we can only work 18 of them at most. Right. Most of us. Um, and we'd prefer to work a lot less than that. And because of that, you really have to choose wisely. And I think the sooner you can choose wisely... And the sooner you can focus down and be a, an expert on something and an important problem, but you're the expert on it or one of a handful, this, the better off you are from a career trajectory point of view. That actually is kind of a great segue into another thing that we wanted to pick your brain about, which I've gotten to talk to you about a couple of different times and have really enjoyed seeing how you put it in practice in your career, which is the reinvention pivot move where, you know, you are established in a certain area and then you kind of want to grow your interests and you want to get into a new area that maybe is aligned with your interests. But as we know, there's, you know, different trends come up, different big focal areas come through the national academies or, you know, down through different uh, funding agencies. And so I wondered if you could just kind of speak to what advice you have for getting into these new areas and pivoting both in the big picture again, and then also uh, at the practical level. Yeah. The reinvent yourself, you know, Jerry Schnorr was one of the people who always said, you have to be reinventing yourself multiple times in your career to stay relevant. <clears throat> and, and he did so. And I think, I think there's truth to that. Uh, and, and, you know, you, you, and you know, I'm, I'm in the process of sort of reinventing myself right now. I, I guess the, the, the best way to, to do this would be a bit of an anecdote. So, you know, I, I spent my first 10 years of my career doing nano iron and I spent a whole lot of time thinking about, how to make these nanoparticles move around in the environment, how to make them attached to surfaces, how to make them as reactive as I want them or not as reactive as I want them, you know, to, to limit reactivity, control it. And, you know, it turned out that because we were focused on the fundamentals of how the polymer sits on the surface, how does the polymer affect reactivity? <clears throat> what, how does the attachment to the surface and, and aggregation affect the transport? Those fundamental questions transported nicely 
to this, the implications of, of nanotechnology were, right? Because the same exact questions were being asked. How far do they transport? Are the, how do they change while they're moving? Uh, what are, if you're an organism, what are you exposed to? You know, how do they transform? Same exact questions applied to two different scenarios, if you will. And, and right now I'm reinventing myself in agriculture and I'm thinking about how do we use nanomaterials in agriculture? How do we make agriculture more efficient? How do we make it more resilient? And the, the more I get into it, you know, the, the pivot is hard because I had to read a biology book, a plant biology book. I had to understand what a plant was. I, had to, I mean, you can't show up at these meetings and say, oh, yeah, now I'm looking at nanoparticles in plants and not know something about plant physiology because you, you're missing half your problem. So it takes an extreme amount of effort to learn the domain space enough where you're asking the relevant, most important questions. Once you've gotten to that point where you, in, you're in a new domain space and you know it well enough to ask what the key questions are, then you can say, okay, well, what are the, what are the fundamental questions? Where, where do we need, where do we lack? Where are the knowledge gaps? Where do we need to fill those knowledge gaps? And it turns out, I'm sort of doing this, it was, it was an epiphany for me just a couple of weeks ago, actually. I realized all I do now is fate and transport of nanoparticles in plants. So it's the same thing. It's exactly the same thing. We're putting coatings on nanoparticles so that they will interact with the cuticle of a plant in a way that allows them to pass that cuticle. We're putting coatings so that they can move through the mesophyll, which is just a bunch of por – it's a porous medium – but it sells instead of sand grains. So it's the same questions that we're asking, same fundamental questions, slightly different domain space. So, so when people say reinvent yourself, they don't, or at least I don't, I used to think that meant, okay, now I got to go do something totally different. It's not like I'm going to be a physicist and I'm not even going to, I'm not a biologist either, but I am going to understand this biology uh, domain space well enough to know what the fate and transport questions are and then apply my core skill set to a new problem. And that I think is the way that we, we would most easily transition our skill sets. And, and I think that goes back to your advice about staying grounded in the fundamentals because that that's exactly what allows you to pivot to a new topic. Cause you're, you're, you're not, going too far afield from the fundamentals absolutely but the the real the, the problem is in the ramp up like you you have to understand the domain space and the problems of the domain space so for example for this ag stuff i inserted myself into a national academies panel on agricultural research breakthroughs for 2030 so so that i could get my arms around the domain space that was a year commitment and a lot of work but it really helped me understand what the key problems are and what the key questions are. Yeah, it's like you have to find a way to allow yourself to go back to school briefly. <laughs> you, not, and not just briefly. I mean, it's a serious effort to, to say, I am going to, you know, I would love to have taken a course. I couldn't quite fit that in, but I could certainly download a, an e-textbook and read it when I had time and read chapters about plant physiology and uh, understand the the what what leaf tissue looks like and what its components are and, and how it works and that was that was eye-opening for me because when i first got into it i had this vision of what i wanted to do and then when i learned what how the plant really worked 
it totally changed my vision or my approach to, to doing what we wanted to do with the plants. So at this point in time, we've been talking to you for a little bit. And so we want to do something that we do with all of our guests uh, from academia is to do a little bit of a light speed round here. So we'll, we'll ask some quick questions. You can obviously be as brief as you want to, or you can expand on the answer, but we won't talk too much. So we're going to, we'll, we'll go through the questions in rapid succession and then we'll uh, wrap it up. Does that sound good? Sure. I haven't, I haven't seen any of these questions, so this is really going to be off the cuff. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Christine, you want to shoot with the first one? Uh, sure. What is one mistake you made? Hmm. A mistake that I made, you know, probably going back to what we talked about before is not, not saying no to some, to things that, that really were, that where the benefit of doing it did not outweigh the cost. So, so I didn't contemplate the cost benefit ratio of opportunities given to me early in my career. What is your biggest win in your career so far? Well, the center, of course, we, you know, the NSF center for that we had for the last 10 years was, was huge. That, uh, that affected a lot of us pretty well. It was pretty great. Um, uh, <laughs> It did, and I should I should probably add one more thing to that. I mean, getting the center was great, and getting the resources was great. But then, what the outcome of that was the the number of students that that we produced out of that center that have gone on to 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 great careers. I mean, just across the board in terms of you know academia, government, industry, everywhere, it's been fantastic. Yeah, it is pretty cool to be nearing the end of that funding arc and see how awesome the impact is. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so the next one is when do you write? When do I write? So my brain, my writing brain works best in the afternoon and evening. So I have a really hard time writing in the morning. So in my morning, I do administrative crap uh, that doesn't require a lot of like deep writing, whatever, whatever part of my brain does writing, it needs to wake up and I don't need that to do administrative things. So I, I work on probably about four o'clock and then after dinner is my best writing time. Do you have any fears in your career? Oh, all the time. I mean, and with the center ending, my fear right now is, is, um, how do I, how do, how do I get back to that place I was five years ago where we were sort of really in this mad fury of productivity on an important problem? I want to, I want to get there again. And my fear, I guess, would be that I'll, I won't get that opportunity. Well, I am, it's always easy from the outside to not have the fear that the person has. And it's because they have it that you're not worried for them, but I am certain that Saint is not the last giant problem that you're going to be in the middle of solving, not, not, not making a giant problem. (laughs) (laughs) I I appreciate that. I, I, yeah. Once I get behind me, I would love to have another center focused on, on, on food issues and food security issues and, and just sustainability of agriculture moving forward. I think that's an important topic. I, I agree with you. I, I think it'll happen. It's just 
there's some nerves and the tension of like when it's not happening and some, some, uh, I guess some, you know, you write these great proposals and you think they're wonderful and then they don't get funded and you just can't understand why. And you got to sort of keep forging ahead and I know it'll happen, but I can't help but think, what if it doesn't? Um, so how do you escape from the daily grind? So you have like a work hard, play hard approach. So how much play and fun do you work in? Mm, probably not enough. Um, so I, I, I work out and I enjoy that. And I, I absolutely make time for that. And I hang out with my kids and I make time for that. And those are sort of the two things that I do to get away from it all. I will say that the one thing that, that really I have benefited over the last 18 years is that I have about a 12 minute walk from my house to my office and I have to go over this hill. So no matter what's happening in my office, when it's time to go home, I sort of have 12 minutes to hike up this hill and like get it, just get it out of my system. So when I get home, I can just chill with my family and, and, or work out or do something. Of course, then after everyone's in bed, I get back on it for a couple of hours, but I can, you know, I think having a walk, having a commute that doesn't involve driving in a car and yelling at other people in cars, I think has helped me a lot. <laughs> That's probably earned you <laughs> years on your life. <laughs> I, I, well, it's, it's actually put a lot of time back into my life. If you think about it, if you had to drive an hour each day, each way, two hours a day of driving times five days a week times a lot of years, that's a lot of hours. Yeah. It's, it's, it starts to add up. And I think that especially like in our generation, people are starting to really put the time cost on things of living out in the suburbs. I mean, suburbs are huge out here in Houston. And I think the trend is now reversing because people are like, wow, this is actually a, there's a real cost here. And people didn't think about that very much before. So it's nice. It's nice to be able to We're urbanize. We have mega cities and urbanization is happening. Yeah. It's great. It's, it's, yeah. And you're uh, going to yeah. build the farms for them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that would be nice if we could do a lot of, uh, urban farming and bring agriculture back to people so they can see just how intent energy and intensive and space intensive it is. Maybe they'd waste less food. Yeah. Well, Greg, I really appreciate you joining us today. We really had a great conversation. I actually think that uh, this conversation can be in two parts. So we're, we're thinking that the first part and the second part will be to a two part episode. So uh, thanks for providing so many just nuggets of great information. I think I wrote down several quotes from you that we're going to be able to use in promoting the podcast too. So thank you. Yeah, nice. Thanks for doing this. I, I think it's a really good service to to the, the budding uh, academic community that we need because, you know, the past few years or the past five or six years and with funding crunches and things, a lot of students look at that and go, I don't want to do that. And so we're the academia is sort of missing out on a lot of really good people. And I think this kind of podcast where giving people advice um, and, and maybe you even want to go back a little bit and try to do something that targets PhD students that are thinking about academia and giving them some advice and 
some understanding about how awesome this job really is and that it's worth it, even though it can be frustrating. Yeah, you know, that's exactly what's been so fun about it is we originally started having conversations to somewhat address some issues that people have or, you know, frustrations or confusions. And what we've ended up finding is just this theme of positivity, high energy, excitement, you know, engagement throughout the career from everyone who is making it work at various stages of their professor life, you know? So it's been really re-energizing. And um, I know I've learned a lot from working with you over the years. And I think that it's awesome that people who are listening will get to do that too. You've been listening to episode 16 of Helium Podcast. The show notes for this episode can be found at www.teamhelium.co slash episode 16. We also have a Fusion Friday email that goes out every Friday to distill information for your early career success. This can be found on any podcast page. If you scroll down to the bottom, you can sign up for that email list. The music for this episode was provided by Michael Blake. He can be found at mblakemusic.com. Episode 16 was edited by Zach Hendren and produced by Christine Ogilvie Hendren and me, Matt Hoetze. Thank you so much for being a Helium Podcast listener. We really appreciate you. Please feel free to contact us at any time. Let us know about the show or if you have suggestions for guests or topics, we would love to hear from you. Our next episode is in two weeks and it's on technology combat. Well, not exactly technology combat, but combating technology in your life. The things that you can do to reverse the effect that technology is having on all of us. And that is with Matthew Kent. So we're excited to share that episode with you in a couple of weeks. And it's perfect for the start of the new year. So looking forward to it and happy new year to you all. I just realized that you guys are on video too. And I totally forgot. <laughs> you were like staring to the side the whole time. I was like, does he have a problem with eye contact? No, I, was, I, I just turned you guys back on the video. I'm, I was staring at this big orange screen and like looking around and like, Oh, okay, great.